Hey everybody, this is Alex. Hey, it's Natasha. And we are here to talk just for a second about Extra Crunch TechCrunch's subscription product. Extra Crunch is where a lot of our best analysis and follow-up stories lives. We focus a lot on startups, building, and even poke fun here and there. It's true. I also write a daily column called The Exchange that's over on Extra Crunch. And the good news is, if you don't have EC access yet, we have a deal for you. Yes, you can use, I think, the best code there is. So don't tell anyone who doesn't listen to Equity because they're not invited. The code is equity, all caps, for 50% off your Extra Crunch subscription. So head over to techcrunch.com slash subscribe. Use that code. Make us look good internally. We say thanks across the internet. And now let's do a show. to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex, and I am joined by the entire crew. We are back. We are back together as a unit, and we have Danny Crichton fresh from his vacations. Danny, how are you? You know, it's Christmas Eve. I'm looking forward to the ghosts of Christmas past and the ghosts of Christmas present. I thought you were more the ghost of Christmas future, but that's fine. We also have Natasha here. How are you doing? I drank coffee on an empty stomach today to celebrate our last time recording for the year, which is crazy. What a crazy year. This year started off with me thinking the biggest changes in my life were Kate Clark leaving the show and launching Equity Monday. And then we got sideswiped by a global pandemic. Everything changed about six or seven times. The stock market went up crazily. Then all the IPOs happened. I haven't slept in a couple of months. So a perfect moment, I think, to step back and look backwards and think about the year. Before we jump into our plan, which I will explain in a second, I want from each of you the biggest surprise in our little world of startups and venture capital of the year. And Danny, we'll start with you. I, I think the surprise is, look, a global pandemic hit the world and startups have never done better in the last decade. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's the stock market, whether it's Amazon and the big tech companies, whether it's startups themselves, like valuations are up, startups are getting started. I mean, I, I remember March, April, everyone was like, everything's going to shut down. And the only thing that shut down was San Francisco which I've been predicting for a decade now. So, so in, in that regard, nothing was surprising, but truly shocking to me. Some people were very bullish, but I certainly was not as bullish in believing that literally nothing phased the tech industry in 2020. All right, Natasha, biggest surprise of the year? I think that Zoom investing was actually a thing that happened for a long time beyond March and April. And just like the fact that it became like newsworthy if you were staying in San Francisco. I just never thought that would be noteworthy. (laughs) And my tweet of my future 2021 home is coming in soon. So expect that. Zoom investing. Would we just call that zesting, perhaps? (laughs) No, please don't. All right. All right. So one last dad joke in there for 2020. Um, And it wasn't from me. Let the record reflect. That's true. That that one's on me. All right. Well, here's what we have done for everyone listening in. So we have, look, we know you don't just want to hear what we think about the years. We've called in a couple of faves from around the venture capital world who have dialed in via the famous and secret equity phone line and left us messages. And then we are going to play them, listen to what they thought about the year, and then give you our take on what they said. And I believe the first one is Sarah Kunst. And we're going to start right now. Hi, this is Sarah Kuntz, Managing Director of Clio Capital. My biggest surprise in startups this year, probably how strong the IPO market stayed despite a pandemic. The one company to watch in 2021 for me that's not a portfolio company of Clio's would be Lug. I think that with all of the moving around people are doing, 
having an Uber for moving makes a lot of sense. What's one trend that I went into 2020 looking for that I was totally wrong about? The idea that more and more people would be getting rid of their cars when obviously it became a high watermark year to buy a car. A trend that I went into 2020 thinking about that I got right was the continued rise of the 1099 economy and alternative ways for people to make money, or as we call it at Clio, the future of income. What was the hardest part of transitioning to Zoom deals? Um, it wasn't really hard. We've always really, really focused on Clio at finding amazing entrepreneurs from all over the country. And so we've been doing Zoom deals. We've been doing deals over the phone. We've been doing deals over email. And we're really, really excited to see other VCs join in. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. I think also, you know, Sarah and Cleo are a firm and human to watch in the coming years. I expect that they're going to raise or she's going to raise her second fund soon enough. But off the bat, the two things that stood out to me with her prediction are the increased use of lug, which is for people who don't know, a rentable moving truck where they kind of unpack your apartment for you. I love lug. I use them for every apartment move in San Francisco. Even though car ownership is up, as she mentioned, no one's going to be buying trucks anytime soon in the city. So yeah, I think that that is definitely a company to watch. And they've been quiet recently. I actually emailed them at the beginning of the pandemic because I was like, your business probably went to zero. They never responded. So let's see if they respond in 2021. I moved last year out of San Francisco. And it was one of the least fun things I've ever done. I hadn't heard of Lug, which is my fault. All right, Danny, any notes on what Sarah had to say? Again, I, I don't think anyone could have predicted the rise of the car. I've been shocked at the number of friends of mine who've, who've bought vehicles this year. I don't think anyone could have predicted that. Well, I think subprime auto lending is at an all-time high. So I guess she's right. It's been pretty That's crazy. Great. That's the right kind of thing I want to hear going into 2021. I was going to say the IPO market being hot is yes, for sure. It was wild. But were, were either of you guys surprised? I feel like after March and the pretty fast rebound, it felt like um, among startups that I, I, I could tell for the rest of the year, it would be pretty crazy. I mean, I was surprised. Or maybe I was surprised at the, at the valuations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we're going to get into this more as, as people weigh in. We have a couple more VCs for you. But, you know, I didn't think that there was going to be such an ability by the market to look past the current kind of six month period. Everyone's talking about next year. Everyone's talking about, you know, the back half of 21 and how things are going to get back to normal once the vaccine's here for everybody. Uh, the public markets are famously not that long term minded. And yet here we are with valuations at all time highs in an economy that's still pretty much on its knees. That has been a, a shock to me. So the IPO point that she brings up resonates a lot with my just general confusion and wrongness about what 2020 should have looked like. But we're going to pause. We are going to turn to Turner Novak, a GP over at Gelt Venture Capital. Hey, this is Turner Novak. Based in Michigan, biggest surprise to me was the ability of everyone to adapt and start investing over Zoom. I got a lot of pushback when I said that's what I was going to do <laughs> in VC in Michigan. And it's been cool to see how fast everybody has been able to kind of shift their cultures to start doing it. So, you know, hopefully it continues going forward. It'll be pretty awesome. I think it opens up a lot and kind of democratizes the fundraising process. I, I think Turner is right. I mean, I, I think, you know, for a decade, I mean, even, even as a VC, a former VC, you know, we've had this situation where people have said for years, you can't do it. You got to meet in person. You got to do all this stuff. I think as soon as there was not the ability to meet in person, everyone adapted to Zoom and has moved forward. The good news is, is all those term sheets were signed. Startups got funded. People are growing. I think the big question, and we're going to know in a decade, 
is what do these results and returns actually look like? You know, were people actually good? And I think it's always important to remember that just because a bunch of term sheets were signed does not mean any returns are coming back to the venture firms that signed those term sheets. Totally, Danny. Turner actually was one of the first people I talked to when Zoom investing began because I wrote a piece like called Doing Deals Over Zoom Investors Might Have Some Tips. And Turner was one of the few people that had been doing it because, as he said, he's based in Michigan. I agree with what you're saying and that we'll only know a very long time from now. From right now, though, what Turner said is it could democratize access. It's been sad to see that that's not exactly what's happened, maybe location wise, but definitely not gender wise. No, we've actually seen kind of a reversion on a lot of those trends that we keep track of diversity in who is investing, who isn't being invested in. It's been relatively depressing in that sense. All right, but we're going to go ahead and pause on that. We're going to turn over to Lolita Taub. She has a number of jobs, and I'm going to get all of these correct on the first try. So watch this. She's a GP at the Community Fund VC. She's interim head of sales over at Catalyte. She's an LP in the Operator Collective, and she is a venture partner over at NextGenVP. So a lot of things going on there, according to her LinkedIn. I only knew about two of those, so I'm glad <laughs> I looked them up. Now, take it away. Hi, Chris. I love the recording. So here are my answers to your questions. In a year where everything seemed to be heading in a doom and gloom scenario, we had the three biggest IPOs in all history, Airbnb, DoorDash, and Snowflake. The kicker is that they sustained market performance in their stock. What is one company to watch in 2021? Robinhood. I'm super curious to watch them respond to allegations of reckless gamifying investing to novice investors and their potential IPO in 2021. What's one trend that you went in 2020 looking for that you got wrong? And what's one that you got right? I expected there to be more dollars going into underestimated founders. And lo and behold, we haven't seen much progress. Black and Latinx founders have only raised 2.3 billion or 2.6% of all VC funding this year, according to the Crunchbase Diversity Report. In terms of what I got right, my word for 2020 was community, and boy, did I get it right. I co-launched the community fund and the thesis that community-driven companies produce outsized returns. And next thing I know, Airbnb further proves that thesis correct. Just last week, it surged past $100 billion in valuation. Another example that confirms the community-driven thesis, Peloton. What was the hardest part of transitioning to Zoom deals? None with deals. Virtual investment was already part of my groove. What was hard was getting the lighting right. And now I'm a proud owner of Softbox Lighting, a Loom Cube, and a Ring Light. Anything else you would like to put out there? Yes. If you're a community-driven company, reach out to us at thecommunity.bc. And also, if you'd like to say hello, please do so on Twitter. Okay, so first of all, 18 points for answering every question in detail in a voice that we could actually comprehend. She didn't talk too quickly. So, you know, applause. <laughs> I took a lot of notes from that. The things that really stood out to me was her comments about Robinhood and some of the issues that they've had. Big questions in my head. I'm really curious to see how that plays out. We've written about this on TC a bunch. There's a lot going on there if you want to look into it. Her point about Zoom investing was funny. It's funny to see who was kind of ahead of the curve and who had to kind of catch up. I think Robinhood did super well. In many ways, 2020 was the year of the retail investor. And we haven't heard about that in decades. You know, we've had the rise of index funds. I covered a, a startup over the last couple of years called Bumped, just trying to give Basically, instead of points back, you would get stock back from the companies you buy from. So if you buy from Walmart, you would get Walmart stock back as, instead of points. 
And the idea from the founder was, hey, you know, retail, no one buys stocks anymore. It's, it's like in the single digits, like almost no one in America owns like an individual stock. And so he wanted to fix that. I think Robinhood solved the problem. Like people realized, I think through March and April, just because of the volatility, because of, of the beta that was going on in the markets, there was huge amounts of money to be made if you timed the market right. And I think as people learn like, wow, I can make a lot of money. I can beat the market. Certainly in this environment, you can beat the market. You know, all of a sudden Robinhood just became the platform to go and do that. I do think there's huge questions around the education, but I think, I think they're going to, and you know, they just did SEC enforcement, like what, a week or two ago, uh, what was it? 58 million bucks or 65. 65 million bucks. One of those two numbers, 65. I don't have to know what the numbers are. See that they, they do. That's the, that's why they got fined. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think one of the big questions is, is like, look, all the stuff, you know, all, all of this is like on the edges. I, I think Robinhood has an amazingly core business model. It's going to do super well. And I think they're going to IPO pretty fast. I'll merge with another part of Lolita's reflection, which is kind of like the rise of community. We saw public raise last week, a few weeks ago at this point, and it's kind of bringing social to investing. And so I don't think public's necessarily going to knock out Robinhood or necessarily wants to, but another company to watch. But what, what Lolita was saying about community as her fund is also aptly named is like, we knew it was going to be big this year, but I think the Twitter becoming the public square the rise of rolling funds, the rise of just like audience being more monetizable in a loud way was unignored this year because so many other channels kind of dried up. And so I think that became more powerful, even though it's still a cliche in some ways, it's, it became really powerful, your community. Yeah. So here's, a, I'm going to be a stinker and throw a little water on this because that's my job. Platform is a useful term that has been overused to the point of death. I'm very curious about how we define community and how we can use it. Because when I think about the communities that you mentioned, Natasha, I, I, I can see why they all fit. But then when I put them next to Airbnb being a community, as she said, and Peloton being a community, as she said, it feels a little diffuse. So I think we'll need to draw a firmer boundary around what that means so we can have a, a clear thesis for the show. I'm sure she has one to be clear, but I think we need to have an operation operating uh, definition for ourselves. I agree. We should do that. And I think like there is definitely this fine line between like, no, if you're a Slack group, unfortunately, you're not a community that we should be talking about. And I have to tell this to people all the time, not to slam on their communities, but it's not community in the sense of like what it means for startups and actually changing things. Yeah, I think like that growth needs to happen in the industry and internally. <laughs> well, I think you see a three views piece coming from the three of us about <laughs> oh, no. what is community in the near future. But we're going to pause. We're going to go over to Gary Tan, a managing partner and initialized capital and former guest on not just equity, but one of our live tapings. Hey guys, this is Gary Tan with Initialized Capital. Thanks for including me. A uh, huge fan of TechCrunch, obviously, and uh, I'd, like to, I'd like for you guys to include me this year. Um, first question, I think, was uh, the biggest surprise of startups for this year. Honestly, I think I think it was crazy to see how markets rebounded to the initial reaction to COVID-19. I don't think I could have possibly predicted that. And um, in particular, it was really cool to see Companies like DoorDash and Instacart, both consumer startups, just have this one-time massive infusion of low cost, cost of customer acquisition customers. Normally, DoorDash or Instacart or you know consumer companies like Gobble, they would actually have to pay the next incremental dollar for new user conversion to Google or Facebook. So while Google and Facebook also did incredibly well, it did represent a one-time payout of customer value. 
and customers to a great number of consumer startups due to the behavior change. Likewise, telemedicine was massively accelerated, really on the back of companies like True Pillar Row, and they were really able to grow revenue quite quickly given that sort of macro shift. In 2021, I'm I'm honestly, you know, really looking at Skydio. I think continued breakthroughs in computer vision remains one of the most astonishing new capabilities, and that is frankly just super investable. If you couple that with the role of drones in future national defense, it's just really clear how important it is to the United States for them to continue to build leading-edge tech that has defense use cases, and Skydio is sort of at the perfect intersection of that. Thank you, Gary, for that awesome submission. You got cut off after three minutes because of Zoom capabilities, but we have a lot to talk about anyways. I think what he said on the fragile recovery is a theme we're going to see play out a lot more in the next year and that only some people, you know, can can read in between the lines and see right now. Like, I think we we've there was a time where we were talking about DoorDash and Instacart like every episode, and I don't think they're necessarily going to go anywhere, but I think a lot of the wins we saw um, have kind of like overcrowded our ability to talk about losses, not to get super existential with the fact that startups don't talk about their downs. I think that there will be a lot of reckoning in the next few years. And the layoffs that happened in March and April were probably the most stark that we saw. But, you know, I think there's probably more to come. I just want to jump in on the Skydio point that she brought up because Skydio is a company that I've known about for a while. They're the drone company that makes the drones that follow behind you and do all the really cool stuff. Yeah, I think that's great tech. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And so, but I, I didn't think of it in very bullish terms. I thought about it in cool tech work terms. So I'm fascinated by that business idea. And if there's more growth there, I wouldn't have bet on that. And of course, telemedicine, we've all seen that happen, but something to keep in mind. And Natasha, I think you're right. Some themes and narratives have been so loud this year, they have crowded out everything else. And I think the COVID bump to a subset of startups has been something that we have had to cover because it's been reality but maybe we've over-indexed to it and not spent enough time to you know, talk about the middle class of startups that are doing medium, not DoorDash in March or and not you know, Toast yeah. in March, which were kind of the, the far extremes of the, of the spectrum. Uh, but we got one more. Iris Choi, a partner over at Floodgate, uh, an equity regular, one of the show's favorites, is going to bring us home. Hey, equity team. It's Iris Choi from Floodgate. Happy almost 2021. So what was the biggest surprise in startups and tech for me this year? Uh, to be honest, I think it's the speed and momentum with which the startup fundraising market came roaring back. In March and April, I think most VCs like ourselves were more internally focused, trying to triage any portfolio company situations and make sure our existing companies had enough runway to not only survive uh, the choppy environment, but hopefully thrive. I think what I wasn't expecting was how many new deals we'd be getting done uh, during the summer and well into the fall and even now. I think for us, given how early we invest, it's less about the fraudiness in the public markets, although that's obviously helpful for our existing companies that are raising follow-on financing. I think instead what we're seeing is there were just a lot of companies that got started that were riding the wave of new trends that were happening. So at Floodgate, as state investors, we often talk that, about how we're looking for inflections and insights. And what we mean by that is new trends that are starting to emerge that allow new companies and categories uh, to be created. So a lot of the checks that we're writing these days are leveraging either distance learning, remote work, um, changes in the regulatory environment. So, for example, telemedicine being allowed to happen state 
space. And I think uh, for the foreseeable future, that cadence is going to continue. What is one company to watch in 2021? So I actually think it's going to be Zoom, uh, and that may be kind of an obvious answer, but for me, it's much more about is there going to be a billion-dollar company that gets built on top of Zoom, and how big and wide is the ecosystem going to become? So we've seen it happen with Salesforce, where Viva Systems became a multi-billion-dollar company being built off of Force.com. What is the equivalent that's going to be happening on top of Zoom? And then I would say what has been the hardest part of transitioning to Zoom deals is that in-person connection. You know, as like we like to say, we'll only take that leap of faith before others believe and that we're your co-conspirators. And for better or for worse, we'll be in the foxhole with you, whether it's ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange when your company goes public or helping you figure out how to wind down your company. And that in-person connection or feeling like it's a partnership for the long haul is something that we really value and, to be frank, is probably easier to establish through in-person meetings, but Zoom is at least allowing us an alternative. And then in terms of startup pricing, I would say that it's been eye-opening to see how quickly some of our companies are getting step-ups in valuation. Um, especially with preemptive term sheets, it's a good problem to have. I think that it's a reflection of just how much capital there still is that's available and that the public markets are showing a buoyancy for a lot of multiples for companies. And if the public markets are really kind of what's setting the benchmark. Well, similar to Gary, I, I think Iris just got cut off by our, our three-minute limit on Zoom. So that that's a big question. Can you build a billion-dollar business on top of Zoom if Zoom just cuts you off after the three-minute mark? Um, I, I agree. I mean, you, I mean, Alex, you were talking about platform. I do think Zoom is one of the more interesting platforms um, out there, particularly given that Slack has been bought by Salesforce and is going to get subsumed ah. by the Salesforce machine. So when you think about big app platforms, I think a lot of people focused on bots in Slack. And I could imagine a lot of companies moving towards bots in Zoom or, or other sort of ways to integrate with Zoom. Um, but the one that I actually think is quite interesting is this part about triage. So, you know, all the VCs in March, April, and May went through these triages. They went through portfolio reviews. The big question is, what happens in four to six months, a year after that triage, when all those bridge rounds come up for reinvestment? Are they going to get those reinvestments? Are those companies going to go? Are we going to have an entire, like, murder of startups dead on the streets, you know, in the next couple of months as they all sort of peter out. I, I think that's going to be a huge thing going into 2021. I remember when the two phrases we heard from every venture capital firm were, we're triaging our startups and we are open for business. Like that was literally <laughs> something we had to start off calls saying. So I think don't that's what say they call this. like a, a meat butcher. It's like here we have a meat, the meat's for sale. And by the way, here's these cows over here. And guess where those are going over there? Like that's a triage it, part of the business. It's contradictory. If you're triaging your internal companies, you're not making external deals. Sorry, Natasha, I fucked you off. No, that felt therapeutic to just address head on because we had to be polite for a few months. Anyways, yes. And one example of a company that's built on top of Zoom that I've been watching really closely is Class for Zoom. It's the ed tech play on making a Zoom that's better for, for schools. And so I think would love to see more examples of that. Feel free to crowd our inbox because there really hasn't been any. Yeah, I, I think Iris was spot on and, and thanks for those submissions. So a couple of small notes about this. One, she made a, a point about people being built on top of the Salesforce platform. There have now been two IPOs, Viva and Encino, that have been that have gone public and have been built on Force.com. I think it's now called the Salesforce platform or something else. I think Force.com is the old branding, but I forget what the new one is. And then if Zoom investing is zesting, are Zoom bots zots? That came into my head. Thought that was important to bring up. <laughs> and I had one more point, but now I've forgotten it. I I think we've, here's, here's, here's the issue with all these 
reflections that we've had. One, no VC can talk in less than three minutes. We've learned that. And also, they point in a lot of different directions. You know, there's not one unifying thread throughout all of these. Community is important. Zoom investing is important. Telemedicine is important. Lock of human connection is important. But like, you know, th- these to me are, are, are diverse and diffuse versus singular and tied. Does that make sense? It, it feels more human than what it felt like this time last year. Although I was at a different outlet and not on this podcast, I just feel like the reflections have been a little bit more humble. And I don't think anyone's going to forget what March felt like and the layoffs. Like that was exhausting to cover. I'm sure it was exhausting to live through. Touch wood. We don't see anything like that again. Yeah, I feel like that has hopefully had an impact on the way we (laughs) talk about startups going forward. Well, to bring it all back home to that point about last year, you know, last December, things were pretty active. And if you recall, January and February were very hot months in the startup scene. A lot of a lot of uh, startups raised at relatively high valuations. And here we are again, amazingly enough, sitting here December 2020 in kind of the same situation. Things are hot. Things are active. Things seem, I mean, dare I say, overexcited. And what a shocking turn of events it's taking to get us back here. But it's amazing that we've come full circle in 365 days, give or take. I cannot even begin to imagine that 2021 could be more crazy. But also, I said that in 2019, so not really great on that prediction. Guys, this is coming out on Christmas. Uh, We recorded this just a little bit before, but happy holidays from us and the Equity Crew. We appreciate you. We have one more thing coming out, I think. So look for that. And in the meantime, from Danny, Natasha, Chris, and myself, along with everyone else that helps the show, Henry, and so forth, peace. Peace.